Welcome to this week's sermon at Village Presbyterian Church. At Village, we seek to be shaped by the life of Christ, to practice authentic friendship, and serve the world. You're invited to join us at either our Mission Campus or our Antioch Campus. For now, we hope you hear a word for your own life in this sermon. Thank you, Sally. Well done. Friends, join me together in word of prayer. Let's pray together, please. I invite you to take a deep breath in and let it out slowly. And take a deep breath in and let it out slowly. And breathe in God's mercies and breathe out God's mercies to the whole world and breathe in God's mercies, and breathe out God's mercies to the whole world. So we give you thanks, O God, for your mercies to us this day, especially for your mercies made known to us in your word. So help us to be so attentive to your word that we might be transformed and made better people by your grace through faith. In your name we pray. God's people say, amen. Friends, our reading for us comes to us from Exodus. This is the 16th chapter, the first through the 14th verses. It's the story about the Hebrew people and their movement through the wilderness as they seek the promised land. Listen for the word of God for us this day. The whole congregation of the Israelites set out from Elim, And Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elim and Syria, on the 15th day of the second month after they had departed from the land of Egypt. The whole congregation of the Israelites complained against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. The Israelites said to them, If only we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the flesh pots and ate our fill of bread, for you have brought us out into the wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Then the Lord said to Moses, I am going to rain bread from heaven for you, And each day the people shall go out and gather enough for that day. In that way, I will test them, whether they follow my instruction or not. On the sixth day, when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather on the other days. So Moses and Aaron said to all the Israelites, In the evening you shall know that it was the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt And in the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord. For what are we that you complain against us? And Moses said, When the Lord gives you meat to eat in the evening and your fill of bread in the morning, because the Lord has heard the complaining that you utter against him, what are we? Your complaining is not against us, but against the Lord. Then Moses said to Aaron, Say to the whole congregation of the Israelites, 
Draw near to the Lord, for he has heard your complaining. And as Aaron spoke to the whole congregation of the Israelites, they looked toward the wilderness, and the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. The Lord spoke to Moses and said, I have heard the complaining of the Israelites. Say to them, At twilight you shall eat meat, and in the morning you shall have your fill of bread. Then you shall know that I am the Lord your God. In the evening, quails came up and covered the camp. And in the morning, there was a layer of dew around the camp. When the layer of dew lifted, there on the surface of the wilderness was a fine, flaky substance, as fine as frost on the ground. Friends, the prophet Isaiah reminds us that the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God shall stand for how long? How long? Forever and forever. Thanks be to God. Amen. So, in Ephesians, the writer says to us, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is a gift of God. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this faith is not your own doing. This faith is a gift of God. God gifts to us faith. And the whole premise of this preaching series, this week, next week, and the following week, is that I think God gifts us faith in a variety of ways. God uses our senses to gift to us faith. And on this day, we're looking at tasting faith, wondering together, what does faith actually taste like? So we go to this marvelous story, the wandering of the Hebrew people in the wilderness. They spent time as slaves in Egypt, and finally they are free. And the writer in Exodus tells us the whole congregation of the Israelites set out from Elim. The whole congregation of the Israelites. So in Exodus 12, we get a head count. Exodus 12 says that there were 600,000 men who left Egypt. 600,000 male Hebrew slaves. Well, it wasn't just men who left Egypt. There were also, and, and livestock, actually. Women, children, livestock. Now, we don't know, but scholars are estimating, just upon numbers, that if it's 600,000 men, that they're saying probably we're looking at least 3 million people are moving out of Egypt looking for the promised land. Okay, so, so the population of the state of Kansas, we're at 2.95 million, right? So it's like, it's like if someone said, okay, Kansas, pack up. We're going to the promised land. We're, we're going to Cleveland. Let's all go. We're, we're going to go together, everybody, right? Western Kansas, Central, everybody, we're going, right? Three million people and livestock trying to find the promised land. The whole congregation of the Israelites set out from Elim. And then it says further that the people ended up on the 15th day of the second month 
after they departed from Egypt. So they've been out there now. This is the 15th day of the second month, okay? So they've been out there for 45 days. They don't know this, but we do because we have the whole story of the Exodus in front of us. They're going to spend how many years in the wilderness? 40 years in the wilderness. And they're on the 45th day. And the people start what? I know, hard to imagine. A bunch of people complain about their leadership. Use your imagination, okay? (laughs) 45 days in, they don't know this, we know it. It's going to be 40 years, and they are complaining. And listen to the complaint. This is really delightful. If only we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by the flesh pots. That's a Hebrew idiom for stew pot, right? Because you have a pot and you have vegetables and you have flesh in there. So a stew pot. If only we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by the flesh pots and ate our fill of bread. But you, Aaron and Moses, bright gentlemen, you have brought us out here to the wilderness so we can die from hunger. Nice planning, right? If only God had killed us in Egypt. Okay, 45 days earlier, they were slaves. And 45 days later, now they're complaining and saying, you know, maybe it wasn't that bad, slavery. Okay, we were beaten and killed at a whim, but at least we had something to eat, a place to stay. We weren't wandering around, all three million of us. We're tired. We're hot. Can we go back to slavery, please? Oh, my goodness. Do you want some cheese with that wine? Good grief. And it's only 45 days in. This is like, this is like you're 10 minutes into the road trip, and you're driving away from your home on this road trip, and you hear from the back seat someone ask that marvelous question, hey, are we? And you're like, it's only been 10 minutes. We aren't even of our neighborhood yet. I know, but I'm... Exactly. 45 days in, and they're complaining and whining. And this is the response of the Lord. This is what I think is marvelous. God says to Moses, I am going to rain bread from heaven for you, and each day the people shall go out and gather enough for that day. In that way, I will test them whether they follow my instructions or not. I am going to rain bread from heaven for you, and each day you will go out, and you will gather enough for that day. So Aaron and Moses, they tell the people this, and that night, quail covers the camp. Three million people and livestock. We're talking millions of quail. The next morning, they wake up, and there is this light, flaky substance that they have never seen there after the dew lifts in the morning. They ask the question in Aramaic, what is this? And that's what they name it. 
It's called manna. And manna, literally, is the Aramaic question, what is this? The people complain they're hungry in the wilderness on the journey. And God says, I'm going to provide a taste for you. I'm going to remind you that I am with you. Years ago, I was traveling to Debrecen, a city in eastern Hungary. Debrecen is the second largest city in Hungary after Budapest. Debrecen is the center of the Presbyterian Church of Hungary. The Presbyterian Church of Hungary is the second largest Christian church in the land, only behind the Roman Catholics. It's the largest Protestant church. There's a long history of Presbyterians of the Reformed in the Church of Hungary. Debrecen was chosen to host the world gathering of Presbyterian and Reformed churches. Happens every four years. And Debrecen, for the first time, was going to host all of us. I was honored to be on the planning team. And several of us had to gather two years before the actual event was going to happen, the meeting was going to happen, to plan. And so I was flying to Debrecen. To get there, you have to go through Budapest, the international airport. And my flights were delayed leaving the United States, and so I ended up being uh, too late to catch the bus. They had rented a bus to gather all people from all over the world, Africa, Asia, Latin America, Central America, the Pacific, North America, all parts of Europe. There were about 14 of us that were trying to plan this event. I was not there because I missed all of my flight connections. I contacted our leaders, and they said, no problem. When you get to Budapest, to the airport, just get a cab to the train station and then get a train to Debrecen. Our hotel is actually near the train station. You'll be fine. I said, no problem. And I traveled through Europe a number of times, so I thought I was okay. So I got my flight eventually to Budapest, and I got a taxi cab from Budapest to the train station, and I got into the train station. This is almost 20 years ago, and, and English at least then wasn't as prevalent, I think, as it is now. I've been to Hungary several times since then. Um, and so I had a hard time trying to understand and be understood. Um, Hungarian is an incredibly difficult language. It has no relationship linguistically to any of the Slavic languages all around them, Bulgarian, Romanian, Russian, nothing. Um, no relation to the German, no relation to the, to the Romance languages, French or Spanish or Italian, um, no relationship to English at all, of course. There's a small linguistic tie to Finnish. Oh yeah, that'll help. So I'm at the train station, and I look up on those flipping boards, right? And I'm thinking, okay, oh, I see Debrecen. I can recognize that. And the train to Debrecen is leaving soon. Otherwise, I have to wait several hours for the next train, right? So I go up to a window, and I'm talking to this woman, and I'm saying Debrecen, and she gets that. And she didn't speak. I can do enough German to get by, and she didn't do that. I tried French. She didn't do that at all. And I tried Japanese just for the heck of it. Nothing, right? But I got my ticket. I think I'm okay. But there wasn't enough time for me to exchange money and get food because I was hungry, but there wasn't enough time. Now, if you've traveled in Europe, you know this, right? Other parts of the world, in every train station, there's some kind of a billboard that shows you each of the trains, and it gives you the number of cars, and you can see what the track is. So I found that board, and I thought, okay, I got this. This is not that hard. I see on my ticket, track, train, car number, and it looked like there were compartments. So this is an old-style train. It's really kind of lovely. There were compartments, not just seats, but compartments, and each compartment apparently had two benches facing each other, 
and there were four seats on each side, right? So I thought, okay, I got this. And so I found what I thought was the right track. I found the right car number. I got my rollerboard and my backpack, and I got on, and I found my compartment, and I looked at the seat was empty, so I sat, put my stuff up, sat down, and thought, oh, fine, I'm on the train. Just then, a lovely young woman came through the door to the compartment, looked straight at me, looked at her ticket, and started talking to me in Hungarian. I looked at her and said, I got nothing, I'm sorry. She kept on talking to me, and I said, really, I have no idea what we're saying here. And she talked to the gentleman who was sitting across from me on his bench, and he started talking to her and then talking to me, again, in Hungarian. I said to him, too, sorry, sir, I got nothing. And he's going, ticket, ticket, ticket. I thought, got it. And so I stood up, got my backpack, opened it up, took my ticket out, and showed them my ticket. They start looking at my ticket and her ticket. They're talking to each other and now to me, and they're saying something. I have no idea what. Eventually, they called the conductor. He came down, looked in our compartment, and he starts talking to them and to me in Hungarian, and I'm thinking, I'm sorry, I have no idea what we're talking about here. Finally, he just gestures, get up. And I'm thinking, oh, I must be in the wrong compartment. I thought I had the right one, I was wrong. Actually, I was in the right seat. I was in the right compartment. I was in the right car. I was just on the wrong train. <laughs> so he takes me off of my car, and we walk all the way down that barren to, to get to the main train station. He walks me four tracks over, and I go back all the way down that long walkway and finally get on the right train, on the right car, in the right compartment, on the right seat, and I sit down, and I am exhausted. And just as I sit down, the train starts to leave. I'm thinking, thank you, Jesus. I'm on the train. This is all I need. This, I'm good. And I fall asleep because I'm tired. After a few moments, I wake up because the woman who is sitting next to me on my bench, window's over here, she's here, I'm here, there was an empty seat, thank you, Jesus, and then there was a man there by the door. Across from me, there were two older women who I think knew each other because they were talking the entire time, a young woman who I think is the daughter of this man in the corner because he was sitting there. I woke up because this woman next to me was moving, and I realized I knew she was moving because I had fallen asleep on her. <laughs> in my sleep, I went like this. And she was about this high to me, so I was on her head, sleeping. <laughs> and she let me do that, apparently for a while. But then she got uncomfortable. I don't blame her. I was embarrassed. She smiled. She patted my arm and pushed me over. <laughs> I said, yes, sorry, space, I know, I get it, right? And then, as if on cue, it was almost lunchtime, everyone started opening up their bags and getting out food. And I thought, yes, food, I'm hungry. So I got up, left our compartment, and started walking up and down the train looking for the club car, the cafe car, right? Thinking, maybe they'll take credit cards because I have no Hungarian forints. I walked up and down that train, discovered there is no club car, cafe car on that train going to Debrecen. This is an almost five-hour trip, right? And I'm thinking, ah. Oh, Okay, fine, I'll just sit here and then we'll get there and I'll get something to eat, hopefully, when I can exchange money there in Debrecen. So I sit back down in my seat and people are eating. Some of them are talking. The woman next to me nudges me and asks the question, I think it was, 
do you have any food? And I did the universal no sign, I don't know. And she was slicing up an apple, and she did half the apple, and she passed it to me. And I did the Asian thing, which is refuse, right? Like, no, I'm not going to impose anything upon you. But she was good, because apparently she knew the rule, right? The Asian rule is you refuse the first time anybody offers you anything. You refuse. That's polite. But then they ask again, then you take it, okay? So she tried again, and I took it. And it was a delicious apple. She smiled, I smiled. Across the way from me, there were those two ladies, older adult ladies, and they had some kind of stew thing going on. And one of them produced a small bowl, and they scooped out some of the stew, and they put a spoon in it and passed it across to me. I recognized the potatoes, I recognized the carrots, and there was some kind of meat. It was chewy and a little gamey but it was delicious. The young woman who was there, the daughter of the man, they, she had a sandwich. I recognize that. She had a sandwich, and she cut it up into four pieces, and she offered me a quarter. I refused, did the Asian thing, and then she handed it to me again, and I took it. It was wonderful. And she's smiling at me, watching me eat. I realized after a while, it kind of became a game in our compartment. Like, let's feed something to this big Asian-American guy and see what he does with it. So the guy next to me, actually, the seat away, he, was, he had these sausages, and he was just slicing them with a knife and pieces of cheese. And so he would slice one, eat it, and slice one and hand it to me, and then I would eat it. Cheese, 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 right? And then he took out this glass bottle, uncorked it, and poured it a little bit into this glass and offered it to me. I refused, he offered it again, and I was thinking in my head, okay, oh yeah, I heard about this. These Hungarians are known for this dessert wine called like Tokaj something. And I thought, like, oh, maybe this is that, one of my friends had said, hey, when you go to Hungary, on the way out, pick up a couple of bottles of this, it's really good stuff. I'm like, okay. So maybe this is dessert wine, right? I'm not much of a drinker. And so I took it and I drank it, and it was not dessert wine. It was some Hungarian moonshine type thing that I am sure he had made by himself, right? So I'm not a drinker. And so I went this, and I went, pah, like that. And everybody started laughing. Everybody enjoyed my reaction. They were laughing to each other, pointing at me, and mimicking me in front of me. and started laughing. We were laughing in tears. The rest of the trip, there would be a lull in the conversation. Somebody would look up and go, <laughs> and everybody would break up laughing. We got to Debretson. Everyone hugged me as we were leaving the compartment. The two old ladies kept on going, <laughs> the gentleman to my right walked me out of the train station asked me, I think, directions where I was going. I showed him the hotel address and name. He went up to a driver, pointed to this. He spoke to him in Hungarian. He put me in the cab, and then he gave the gentleman money for my ride from the station to the hotel. The Hebrew people are in the wilderness, and they're hungry, and God gives them quail and manna. 
God gives them a taste of faith to say to them, I am with you. You are not alone. There in the wilderness. This hungry Asian American is on a train between Budapest and Debrecen. And these complete strangers for that moment offer me food from their own tables. And I have this marvelous taste of faith. And God says to me, look, Nishioka, you are not alone. I am with you. That's what taste of faith does for us. That's what this table does for us. This table reminds you and me, you are not alone. The God of the universe is with you and will provide for you that which you need. Friends, the taste of faith for the people of God. Thanks be to God. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Pa! (laughs) Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's sermon at Village Presbyterian Church. Learn more about us at villagepres.org. And we invite you to join us again next week.